You're listening to Strange by Nature, your guide to the strange, weird, unbelievable, and improbable wonders of the natural world. Hello, everyone. Thanks for being here today. I am Kirk Mona, and I am joined today by Rachel Ginza and Victoria Thompson. We are all professional naturalists who together have scoured the world for weird and wonderful wonders just to please your mammalian brain's desire for novelty. Isn't that nice? Let's do this. Hey, everybody. Welcome back. How are we all doing? Good. How are you? Doing great. Uh as I think back, you know, I got to say, this is episode 45, I'm by the way, sorry. so let's acknowledge Just, that. Woo-hoo. Pretty exciting, and uh, thinking back through all those last four to five episodes, we've had a, a great time, and my topic this week kind of combines sort of two different topics we've had from the pa- on the show in the past. Okay. Um, probably one of those is a topic of mine, which is probably, I'd say, my most popular topic ever. It's the one that people talk about the most, I, I feel, and gets referenced the most. It's yeah, the bizarre incendiary bat bombs <laughs> that the U.S. prototyped. That one was memorable. Uh, Kirk, no. Yeah, they used no. hun- hundreds of live bats with little mini napalm bombs on their backs that were designed to burn down Japanese cities. Oh, no. uh, if you have not heard that episode yet, I highly recommend you go back and check it out. It's, it's very Freaking strange. Freaking depressing. And then Kirk, you yeah, you I mean it is that me. as well. I just like barely. I have no idea what you're talking about, but you reference this barely, <laughs> and I'm already just, oh no. <laughs> um, so Victoria also had a story about animals in war a white ways back, and she talked about the use of messenger pigeons, mm-hmm. and how like they actually got like medals mm-hmm. for their of, of, of honor for their work during wartime, and this week I want to combine those two topics and talk about. Project Pigeon. Oh boy! Have Kirk. either of you heard about Project Pigeon? What um, is Project Pigeon? You're gonna Pigeon? have to remind me. I feel like it's probably <laughs> something I've dived into on Wikipedia over the years, but I don't remember. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, we've all gone down the uh, the Wikipedia rabbit hole at times and just seen where we end up. But um, Project Pigeon was a brainchild of famed behaviorist B.F. Skinner. Oh yeah. So Skinner was a professor of psychology at Harvard uh, and. And a, psychi- a psychologist, behaviorist, in- inventor, and author. Uh, he's basically considered one of the most influential psychologists of the 20th century, along with uh, Watson and Pavlov. He's one of the founders of behaviorism. Okay. Okay. And so, if you if you ever heard of operant conditioning, uh, that's probably thanks to B. F. Skinner. Uh, if you've ever taken a like a dog training course, you've likely used yeah. the methods he was working with. So the basic idea of operant conditioning is that you reward desirable behaviors to reinforce them and you increase the chances of them occurring. So like the puppy I got last year, Ada, uh, she liked to go to the bathroom equally outdoors and indoors, uh, but we conditioned her to realize that she only got treats when she went to the bathroom outdoors and now that's, that's really all she'll do. So it's great. It works. So Skinner knew that this conditioning was powerful. And he was working on his theories during World War II. And given the geopolitical climate of the time, he decided what the world really, really needed was guided missiles flown by suicide pigeon pilots. Herc. Herc, why? 
Hey, it's strange by nature. Oh, Look, my. this is this is strange, and we're getting some history here as well. Um, pigeons, pigeons. Yeah, yeah. Flying things. So <laughs> they're kamikaze you, you, pigeons. Yeah, you you got it, Rachel. You got it. So okay. let me tell you how this worked out. So Skinner proposed Project Pigeon to the uh, National Defense Research Committee, who, from what I understand, were apparently skeptical, but still. Gave him $25,000 to test out the idea. Wait, wait, wait. $25,000 in World War II money or $25,000 oh, yeah. in yeah. today's no, money? No, that, that, that was in like 1940s cash. So it was a sizable amount. But keep in mind, we're at war and they wanted it. You know, it was a desperate time and they'd, they'd give lots of, uh, you know, projects a chance. Bat bombs, for example. Right. But <laughs> exactly. that's so much exactly. money. So what now. Skinner first did was to train the pigeons. And this is actually the easy part. Um, pigeons were shown images of ships. I should say this was for the Navy. The idea was to try to uh, uh, hit, like, battleships and whatnot. Mm-hmm. And so I think it was, I want to say Victoria. it was the Bismarck-class ships of the, of the Germans they were trying to hit. And um, so they had to train the pigeons on images of ships. And they basically showed them an image of a ship. And if they pecked at the ship, they were rewarded with food. If they pecked anywhere else, they were not rewarded. And now, we probably don't think of like pigeons as being particularly smart, but they represent millions of years of evolution at work, and their survival depends upon learning and remembering behaviors that reward them with sustenance. So they got real good at doing this. And in a short time of training, you know, the birds could reliably peck at an image of the ship. And now actually came the hard part. So how do you use that skill it isn't like you can have a a beak sensitive touch screen or anything like that or they you can't like give them little joysticks to move or something like that uh this was during world war ii and the kind of technology to have touch screens and things like that simply did not exist even if it could somehow fit inside a missile at the time so i think what they came up with is actually pretty ingenious there was not one pilot for the missile but rather three uh, they had three trained pigeons who were placed into a special nose cone on the missile. And the nose cone had three lenses on the front that projected images just with light passing through a lens. So not like digital or anything like that. Right. This is just a plain old like camera obscura, if you know the, the idea. Do, They're projecting actually. image onto three screens, one in front of each pigeon. And the screens are not fixed flat screens. They're actually on a pivot. Okay. And so if the ship was in the middle of the screen and the pigeon pecked at it, nothing would happen. But if the ship started to move or the missile was drifting off course, the image would start to appear to go to the side of the screen. And when the pigeons pecked at the side of the screen, it would cause the whole screen to tilt slightly. And that tilt could be measured and used to move the control surfaces, the fins of the missile, and bring it back on course. And this, you know, then it would, the image of the ships would come back into the the middle, and they start poking in the middle again, and, and nothing would happen. They taught birds so, that already fly how to fly a missile. <laughs> I know. I know. Wow. That's, that's kind I mean, of my it's favorite an ingenious part of method. Yeah. It's super ingenious. And that's what, I mean, look, let's be honest. This is horrible. This is, this is to try to, like, take human life, to sink ships, and, of course, the pigeons are going to die in the process. There's a lot to not like about this, but the... The ingenuity that was shown to try to figure out how to make this work is what I find most interesting about this. Yeah, it's, that's it's pretty fascinating. I mean, it harkens yeah, I mean, back the pigeons... to uh, Victoria's episode on pigeons and how 
great their right. memory is too. Yeah, and they can distinguish between different schools of art. <laughs> exactly. Well, <clears throat> they just had to distinguish. I don't think they trained them to distinguish different ships. I think you would kind of launch this toward a ship and okay. it, would, it would stay on they track. Didn't, it was like um, not the silhouette of a German ship. They're not flying around just looking for stuff. No, 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 no. <laughs> That's good. In fact, this is uh, <laughs> almost more of a glider than a, than a rocket, I think. But future Kirk here uh, in the editing suite is jumping in. I wanted to uh, clarify something. This was, in fact, not a missile. It was a bomb. And I repeatedly use the word missile in this episode. Uh, this was more of a, a gliding bomb, as I just alluded to, that would be dropped and then guided on its way down rather than a, a powered rocket, which I think I make it sound like several times. So I wanted to throw that clarification in, and then we'll get right back to the episode. Um, you know, so they keep on packing over and over, and they nudge the missile and keep it pointed at the, the ship's, the target ship until impact. And much like the bat bomb before it, uh, even though it was shown to work, the program was canceled. Uh, the Navy canceled it in October of 1944. Mm. Uh if you know your history, uh, round then they had some other things up their sleeves yep. uh, that were a bit more powerful than um, pigeons and a missile. Yeah. Uh, the, the Navy said at the time, quote, further uh, pro prosecution of this project would seriously delay others, which in the minds of the division have immediate or more immediate promise of combat application. Uh, probably Project Manhattan probably had yeah. a bit more of an application. That was yeah. um, and that also was other December. other other cruise missile technology. Uh, Skinner was quoted as saying, "Quote: Our problem was no one would take us seriously." Yeah, yep. yeah I, I could see I that. I could understand where um, that uh, thought could be coming from. It seems less crazy than the oh, bat yeah. bombs, though. To be honest, it it kind of does. I, I, I would agree with that. Um, project and and on that note, Victoria, because it wasn't completely you know out there. Project Pigeon was brought back after the war, and the Navy again looked into it seriously. This time under the name Project Orcon. Orcon meaning organic control. Huh. And Project Orcon ran from 1948 until 1953, and at that point, electronic guidance systems became reliable enough that there was there wasn't just really any need to bother with pigeons. Um, mm -hmm. one kind of final fun note for you here, the missile platform they used as this test bed is actually the same one that the Navy also used as their radar guided missile, like test platform starting in 1944. Okay. And clearly that technology won out over pigeons, but the missile itself was basically like a miniature airplane with the wings and a tail section and everything. And as you're into that, I just absolutely love the imagery of these three pigeons flying this airplane around uh which is like i i picture like little, little leather, leather aviator ha hats yes. on them and they're it's like holding my the brain, little, little goggles yeah totally not what happened but i just i i cannot get that image out of my head it's amazing um and and here's the, here's a little connection i love too because of the shape of this airframe this particular glide bomb became known as the bat glide bomb oh. so we have come full circle <laughs> back to bat bombs, although it had wow. nothing to really do with bats. Um, the Navy, you know, really didn't use bat bombs. Just there was, so they, well, they really did use bat bombs. There just were no bats involved. Uh, and eventually no <laughs> pigeons either. Uh, just kind of a cool name. So there you have it. Um, pigeons flying suicide missions in glider airplanes. Uh, if that's not strange by nature, I, I don't know. Thank you for that. Off the yeah. wall. A little Second. strange by human as well. Yeah. And B.F. Skinner, I yeah. guess. But uh, 
Yeah. So uh, that's what I had for you today. Uh, Rachel, I hope you got something fun. We're going to take a little break, and uh, Rachel will lead things off after the break. Strange by Nature podcast is brought to you by listeners like you who have joined the Society of Strange, our membership group on over at patreon.com slash strangebynature. Society of Strange members can join at one of three different membership levels and help support the show and also get some fun stuff like water bottle stickers or access to a super secret content. So a thank you to those who have joined already to help make this podcast possible. If you haven't joined yet, we'll see you soon over at the Society of Strange at patreon.com slash strangebynature. See you soon. All right. Welcome back, everyone. I, well, thank you. I do actually have something very fun. Um, I'm really excited about it. So in 2014, um, while this group of scientists were doing research in Queensland, Australia. Oh, Australia. My. Oh, what a surprise. Shocker. So, so surprised. I, I debated about it, but it's too good. <laughs> uh, there's a PhD student, uh, Maddie Gerard, who is able to give just the most delightful common name to a species of spider as she was part of that team. And they had actually found two new species of peacock spiders. So today I'm going to talk a little bit about peacock spiders. And then at the end, I will tell you what this just delightful uh, common name is. Because... Oh, you're going to keep us in suspense. I have never heard of a peacock spider, and I imagine it looks very beautiful. You would be correct, Victoria. These are some of the most beautiful spiders I've ever seen. Um, So peacock spiders are a type of jumping spider. They are not very big. They are... On it, they are anywhere from four to five milliliters. Or mil- milliliters. <laughs> Did it again. I, there it is. There it is. <laughs> Millimeters. I no, I, I think, look, from now on, when you do an animal, you should always just give its... Displacement volume. It's volume. Oh, wow. I just did a Google image search. These are amazing. Aren't they just so beautiful? Um, So. Oh, I got to do it too. Yes, you do. And I will for sure make sure that these are up on our Instagram and our other social media because they're just beautiful. Um, So they're really little tiny spiders. They are four to five millimeters in body length. Also, or if you're an American like myself who doesn't speak science, they're less than a quarter of an inch long. So they are tiny. Yeah. I mean, there, there's a picture of one on someone's, I think, thumbnail here. Mm-hmm. Or even one on a, a, a pencil. They're small. And it's, it's smaller than the, the lead part of the pencil sticking out. I, I use this exact same analogy on episode 42 when we were talking about... <laughs> another animal you were talking about but yeah. putting putting little animals in the ends of pencils is like a thing on the internet apparently it's fun uh this is real tiny it's really small um being that they are a jumping spider they do jump uh they don't weave webs they stalk and they hunt <laughs> their prey um they are able to jump like i just said 
but these in particular can jump up to 50 times their size. Ooh. Which is impressive. Nice. Pretty impressive for the their little tiny size. Like overall not It's a lot, very it's a lot easier when gravity has almost no effect upon you at that size. Right? But yeah. <laughs> I'm just trying to make up my own in- jumping inadequacies by saying that. I can't jump either. <laughs> um, the males of this genus are the ones that have just the most colorful and iridescent patterns uh, at the top of their abdomen. And they actually yeah. use their abdomen to display during courtship. Um, there are about 53 species in this oh, wow. genus. Um, for peacock spiders, the genus is the Maritus uh, genus. Um, and these are just two that were recently discovered in 2014. The paper was published okay, in so this, this genus is well known. Genus is well two known. more were found. Uh, it's been known uh, since the 1850s. There's a lot of papers and a lot of discoveries coming out about peacock spiders in general up until about the 1950s. And then um, the papers kind of just stopped going. And with the spiders being as small as they are, I don't really blame them. Uh, It can be really hard to find all of these little spiders when they are that small. Because that's the average size for peacock spiders is four to five millimeters. So it that's small. Really hard to find small. in the wild. <laughs> you are forgiven for overlooking a few, yeah. Yeah. And you know, Australia is uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, Large. Huge. <laughs> yeah. So finding a you know one little tiny mm-hmm. spider, you're forgiven. So what the males will do with their colorful display, uh, their colorful abdomen, they will display their abdomen. And it depends on the species. Um, Some will lift their abdomen up so the females can see it and wave it around in vibrant uh, motions. Some will lift uh, like their third legs. I realize this is an audio podcast, but I am actively like lifting my arms to show all of these things. (laughs) Very Uh, helpful. helpful. Um, But they will lift their third because they have eight legs, they're a spider, they're an arachnid, so they're third in their fourth legs up. Uh, one species will lift their third leg up and kind of wave it and wave either on the other side, kind of like if you've ever been to the club or been dancing at like a middle school or a high school dance, pretty much. Let me, let, let me give you the audio that goes with what uh, <laughs> movement Rachel's doing right now. It's, Hey, ho! That is that That's is pretty the... much what the spiders are doing in their heads yeah. at all times, uh, and okay. they're actually trying to attract the females. And the females themselves are pretty dull. Well, that's yeah, that that is in humans as well. Yes, nothing has changed. Um, I say dull, but they're more camouflaged, of course. And the dance is pretty specific to the species. Uh, the new species that were. Uh, Found in 2014 and published in the 2015 paper are Maritus skeletus and Maritus Maritus jacketus. Jacket what? Jack J A C T A T 
T-U-S. That little T-A part's probably a little tricky to say, huh? Jactitus. Jactitus, yeah. Yeah. So the skeletus males are black with white markings all over their body. They look really reminiscent of uh, a skeleton, skeleton, pretty much. Um, Yeah, good name. I like it. Yeah, they thought about it. The Jactitus males are a gray-silver in their body, and then on their abdomen and in their midsection kind of area, they are blue and red-striped. Um... They're really quite gorgeous. If you haven't seen a picture of these, you really, really need to. Um, And they overall, the look of these little tiny spiders remind me very strongly of um, the Pixar spider short that happened somewhat recently. Um, Or like a little tiny puppet version of a spider. Like they have like really big eyes that look really friendly. They look they just look so friendly and docile and the, and the scientists that were working with them said that they were really pleasant to work with they were really easygoing kind of friendly and docile um so they weren't like well and i can see bite them or anything like that as i'm looking at you know pictures of them online mixed in with the photos are all kinds of crafts people have made where they've made a needle felted version mm-hmm. and a crocheted version uh this has inspired many a crafty people oh i think i saw there's a beaded one too Probably. Yeah, there's a beaded version I saw. That's precious. People are feeling inspired. They're beautiful. Yeah. Well, their eyes are really large. And actually, their vision is as good as a cat's. So like a domestic cat. Um, oh, wow. Their vision is really, on really, really uh, precise. <laughs> They're really good hunters. They have to be. They're jumping spiders. They do have to... Uh, be able to jump and successfully land on their prey. Um, All of this was to say that the spider that Maddie Gerard got to name, the Maritus Jactitus, the common name is a sparkle muffin. (laughs) (laughs) Sparkle muffin? Sparkle muffin spider. Wow. You know, that's the great thing about common names is you can just <laughs> uh, do whatever you want. Mm-hmm. I heard. But also, people are also free to go, nope, we want to call it something else. <laughs> mm-hmm. But I think Sparkle Muffin should stick. That's pretty awesome. Yeah, it was. Sparkle Muffin. Sparkle Muffin Spider. I heard about it earlier this week and I was just, I had to. That's too good. <laughs> oh, now. I'm noticing something though, Rachel. Mm-hmm. You didn't really say anything about the name of the other one. I just happened to click on this uh, article here that talks about those, those two. Did you catch the reference in the other one's name? You may be a bit too young. What is it? The other one is Skeletorus. Yeah. <laughs> Skeletorus, yeah. Skeletor. Named after Skeletor, yeah. yeah. I, just, yeah. I didn't know if you knew. That's amazing. <laughs> I love it when people have fun with naming animals. So we got the skeleton one that named after Skeletor. Uh Uh-huh. That makes me me very happy. (laughs) Good. (laughs) This actually reminds me, uh, I'm not going to say what it is, but there's a one of, I mean, we both, we all, not both, the three of us all have long lists of topics we want to talk about that keep on growing. Mm -hmm. There's one I've had on there kind of a while, been kind of thinking about, and I think this has inspired me to uh, finally do it. So 
Exciting. It's going to take a couple weeks to researching. I want to do it right, but I think it'll be, uh, it'll be interesting. So you are, you are an inspiration, Rachel. Yay. <laughs> Always. That's the goal. But I, I did. I just wanted to share Sparkle Muffin Spectres. That's what That's I have amazing. for you both today. Are you going to go as Sparkle Muffin for Halloween next year? We totally should. I absolutely should. We're going to hold you to that. All right. <laughs> well, we're going to take a quick break, and when we return, it'll be Victoria. Awesome. And we're back. So, Rachel, you just talked about spiders that jump, and I'm going to take it from there. Uh well, as a naturalist working with kids, I'm sure, Kirk and Rachel, you have wound up teaching a lot of classes about insects, as have I. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And one of the I most popular... Insects. Of course. They're so fascinating, and there's so many of them. Um, one of the most popular activities is to take these sweep nets out to a patch of prairie, and the kids can use them to sweep the grasses and collect insects, and they can oh, yeah. stick them into a peanut butter jar... We're on a sheet laid down on the ground and look at what they caught, which is really cool. There's all kinds of neat mm-hmm. stuff that they can catch. Um, and lots and lots of spiders, too. Lots so of spiders, spiders. yes. Uh, so not just insects, but also non-insects. But you can catch a lot of familiar things like grasshoppers, ants, damselflies. Uh, another uh, type of insect, that's insect that the kids frequently end up with, but that is often not as familiar to them and to many adults, is our plant hoppers. Oh, yeah. Yes. And actually, Rachel, last week you talked about um, the spittle bugs, frog hoppers, yes. which are yep. closely related. They so, are. Are um, and I think hoppers? I mentioned that it was a tie in to, to this week's episode. Um, by the way, I apologize. You can probably hear my kids yelling in the background. It's the future of the human the race. Future of That's the human what happens. Race. Uh, they're going to be sweeping for insects before you know it. Oh. So. <laughs> Plant hoppers are part of uh, the class Hemiptera, the tree bugs, and uh, they're flattened kind of side to side. We kind of described this last week, too. Their wings at rest make a sort of a pyramid tent over their back. Mm -hmm. And as their name indicates, hopping is one of their main forms of locomotion. Um, Boy, can they hop. They can hop. Um, You know, to look at, a lot of them are pretty unassuming, although there's a very flashy red and blue striped one that we get pretty frequently here in Minnesota that is amazing. It's It's pretty small. You have to look closely. Lovely. Yep. First time I saw one, I was just like, I was floored. Yes. It's like that exists in Minnesota. Yeah. Right. Flip over a water boatman. I got, I had the same kind of reaction. Like why is its eyes so red? What? (laughs) Yes. Water boatman too are pretty amazing looking. Okay. So, Entomologists have observed for a long time that plant hoppers at the nymph stage, so that's the immature, we've talked about this before, uh, nymph stage, incomplete metamorphosis, guys. Uh, So they have something weird going on with their back legs. So the legs look like they have gears, like cogwheel type gears that you would find in a car or industrial equipment or whatever something you would buy at cogswell cogs exactly i shop there all the time a deeper and deeper cut every (laughs) year okay 
So there are other places in nature where there are projections on an animal part that look like a gear, but turn out to not have any function like a gear. So, for example, there's a turtle called the spiny turtle, and it has, you know, points on its shell that look kind of like a gear. Um, Also, on the heart valves of crocodiles, there are these projections, but again, they don't function like a gear. But Wait, wait, hold on. On the heart valves? Yes, heart valves. Wow. Okay. Somebody dissected, you know, crocodile hearts, of course. Um, But a very clever experiment in 2013, some researchers at the University of Cambridge were able to demonstrate that these gear-like things on the hind legs of plant hopper nymphs were, in fact, gears. So they used high-speed cameras. Um, That's how, yeah. Yeah, so they used a species called Isis coleoptritus, uh, which is an amazing jumper. So it's about the size of like a smallish ant. But when it takes off, it can okay. achieve almost 400 Gs in two milliseconds. Uh, <laughs> and, a, and a top. <laughs> oh, oh, my. Oh, wow. What? Uh, top jump speed of more than eight miles per Gs? hour. So that's that's uh, G-force more than 20 times what a human could survive. Oh, it would crush you like a pancake. Yeah. It's horrifying. <laughs> you would be a pancake. You would be mush. I don't be mush, but you, I mean, you, you would be dead. Very. To be sure. Yeah. So Isis is an amazing jumper, needless to say. And so it has these back legs, those, which are the ones it uses for jumping, and they swing outward when it's trying to push off. So if it needs to lift off going straight forward, the both legs need to lift off at exactly the same time, or the jump will veer to the left or to the right if they don't go at exactly the same time. Make sense? Mm-hmm. Kind of? Perfectly, yeah. 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 So when you deal with that much force, it needs to be exactly even. Exactly. So by engaging the two legs together using the gears, the nymphs are able to coordinate the two legs, cock them into jumping position, and then basically they trigger... Uh, their jump and achieve a perfect straight ahead jump using the gearing. Wow. That is amazing. It is amazing. I love it. So the gears are incredible. They're 10 to 12 teeth. Uh, They're tapered. They even have this feature called filleting, which is used in manufactured gears to reduce wear. It's like a little divot near the base. Um, That's amazing. the gear on each leg is identical. <clears throat> uh, you may have noticed that I said only the nymphs have the gears. So in their yeah, I was wondering about that. Yeah, so their last molt, the uh, when they become an too. adult, they do. Um, but they shed the gears and they use an alternate mechanism uh, where actually there are these projections that come off the hind legs and kind of simultaneously push the opposite leg during takeoff. I'm using my fingers helpfully okay. on this podcast to show how it works. Yeah, that's uh, great. Kind of like <laughs> for our listeners. They're kind of like uh, one version of window wipers. There's the side to side. Yeah, the, or um, the ones in the middle. Pinball flippers. Sort yes. of. Like hitting both pinball flippers at the same time. Mm-hmm. There we go. Which, by the way, don't do that. <laughs> Okay. Sorry. One of Kirk's hobbies is rebuilding <laughs> pinball machines. It's pinball machines. Yes. And 
people who just sit there and rapidly hit both sides as fast as they can. Uh, that's that'll break the machine. Stop doing that. Good to know. At any rate, the researchers think that they get rid of the gears and move to this other mechanism because the gears are so delicate. And if they were to break in an adult, there would be no way to replace them because they've already done their final molt. And also, oh, okay. yeah, also by this time, since the insect is an adult, it's, you know, larger, stronger, more robust. And it's able to use this adult mechanism, which wouldn't have worked in the smaller and weaker nymph. I should also add that the researchers were able to confirm that it was the gearing that performed the synchronization uh, and not something Did that they cut the, the gears off or something. No, no, but they took a dead plant hopper <laughs> and they cocked <laughs> its legs into position and then they used electrical okay. stimulation of the correct muscle to trigger a jump <laughs> of the dead of course they did. insect. Sounds um, like something science would do. Yeah. So they, they did this the work in 2013. You know. <laughs> and actually, it now appears that all species of plant hopper nymphs have these gears, not just Isis. Oh, uh, cool. Yeah, Isis coleoptritus. So um, next time you get a plant hopper nymph in your sweep net, get out your magnifying glass and see if you can find those gears. Yeah. Get out yeah. your jewelers, Luke. <laughs> yes. <try> to find <laughs> Good luck. Oh, but it sounds like fun. Awesome. Thanks for sharing. You're welcome. That's Thank what you, I have Victoria. on insect leg gears today for you. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, we'll we'll see you next week. See yeah, you see, see you next everyone. week. Thanks for coming along on this uh, eclectic ride this week. <laughs> Bye. Thanks, everyone, for listening to today's show. Be sure to subscribe. New episodes drop every Wednesday, and we love sharing this strange world with all of our listeners. If you would be so kind as to leave us a five-star review, that would be great. It lets other lovers of the strange discover the show. You can reach out to us on social media by searching for Strange by Nature Podcast on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. You can send us an email as well. Our address is contact at strangebynaturepodcast.com. If you want more information about the show, you can also check out our website, which is strangebynaturepodcast.com. Until next week, get outside, stay curious, and embrace the strange. Nope, that's it. I think I've done enough. <laughs> Indeed you have. <laughs>